And so I am going to be passing the torch over to Pastor Chris Odie from, I'm going to unmute you, Chris, so you've been warned. <laughs> um, I think you have to click a button, but I'm going to be passing it over to him. Uh, he'll be preaching for us today, and so I'm going to open up our slideshow for our gospel reading. And do, 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 do. I'm going to mute myself, Chris, so it's all you. Sounds great. Is that the NRSV then? I think yes, so. it is. Okay, perfect. Now I have a backup next to me as well, just in case. Uh, yeah. Uh, sorry, this is a little trippy. I had to stop and reset my brain right now for how all of this works. Uh, the gospel today comes to us from John. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jewish authorities, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said again to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. And Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. And now Jesus did many of the signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. The word of the Lord. So, um, yeah, hi, this is a great way to meet you all. And, uh, and it's, it's such a fascinating, I really appreciate Pastor Megan inviting me to do this today. Uh, my congregation is incarcerated, so it is impossible for me to have this experience that so many of my colleagues are having. And, and so you are watching me on my personal rookie uh, voyage right now, my maiden voyage in terms of online worship. So I appreciate your patience as I learn what this is like. Um, we're going to get into the gospel. We're going to get into the readings. But I'm just going to be very upfront with you that I want to talk to you briefly about uh, the ministry that I serve, uh, Living Stones Prison Congregation, and kind of use that to, to help you understand a bit where I'm coming from. But I promise you that this is going to come back full circle. We're going to come back into the gospel. We're going to relate this back to Bethany and Longview. And, um, and, and I think by the time it's all said and done, um, we'll, we'll be on the same page. So, so give me that good Lutheran nod so that I know we're all following along. Hey, that worked great. That works as well over the internet as it does in person. That made me very happy. 
Um, I, because I work in the prison, I have a lot of congregates who are, I like to call them recovering Baptists. And so I get very used to like the amen call and response sort of thing. I'm not going to ask you to do that today. I wouldn't hear you anyway, so it would be moot. But still, um, that's kind of funny, actually. It would be moot because you're muted. Anyway. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, guys. This is, this is just what it's like with me. Um, Living Stones Prison Congregation is a ministry that was started in its current form back in 2006 um, by the churches of the Southwestern Washington Synod. And it is a ministry that takes place inside the Washington Correction Center. Uh, in Shelton. So I'm a pastor who works inside the prison. I'm not the chaplain for the prison. I assist the chaplain. I back him up. And um, I'm actually on my third chaplain since I started there a year and a half ago. Um, didn't see that coming. I, I went quickly from being the, the new guy to being the person with all the seniority. Um, but, but my role is to go in there, well, until all of this, my role has been to go in there a few times a week, to uh, minister to the men, to uh, do some pastoral counseling, to lead a worship service on a Saturday night where um, folks from congregations like Bethany comes in, worships with us inside. Um, we have regular volunteers who come in as well. And uh, we gather together and worship with the men. And, um, and then on Sundays, I go around and I preach and I teach and I speak elsewhere, do that throughout the week and um, develop resources for this ministry. So. Um, so that's kind of the, the uh, that's, that's Living Stones in a, in a nutshell. And um, I would talk to you more about it afterwards, but I think it might be easier if you just go to our website that is in bad need of uh, redoing. And I, I think Pastor Megan has that and that'll show up later on. So yesterday I had the opportunity to finally go back inside the prison for the first time in about two months. Um, understandably, as all of this has gone on, um, the Department of Corrections has been very careful about who they've been letting into the prisons. And I am not a volunteer, but I fit into this weird gray area where I'm not Department of Corrections staff, but I'm also not a volunteer. And so there was this little bit of a who can go inside thing. And recently they realized that, oh, it's okay for him to go back. Um, so yesterday, for the first time in two months, I was able to go inside and meet with some of the guys in very small groups and have um, some time for Bible study and conversation. Um, and, and we even, you know, we sang a couple songs and had a, a bit of a gathering together, um, which meant a lot to the men because it was the first time that they'd had that in quite a while. All, all the programming is shut down. Um, you know, all of their movement has been much more restricted than usual. And they all seem to kind of understand why, but you know, it was, it was nice for them to have something a little different. Well, so we talked as a group a little bit about uh, the gospel today that you just heard. Now, <coughs> pardon me, you've had, you've, you've heard this reading before, right? Give, give me the good Lutheran nod. Like, you, you know this gospel reading. And, and what, what do we always call this story? This is the story of I can't hear you, but I'm pretty sure some of you said Doubting Thomas, right? I mean, that's what we always, we so often refer to him that way. Um, well, the thing that I want to talk to the guys a little bit about was the idea that, yeah, Thomas shows some doubt here, but I would like to challenge us to, to rethink a little bit exactly what's happening in this gospel and recognize some of the ways in which 
Thomas gives us actually a confession of faith here that I think is really worth highlighting. Um, when we first see the God, when we, when this gospel opens up, it's right after the resurrection. You know, we've had, we've had the trial, the conviction, the execution of Christ. He's been thrown in the tomb. He's dead. Time has passed. He's raised. We know this. We've had the tomb experience. We've had, you know, Mary Magdalene, some of the other gospel or disciples have gone to the tomb. They've checked out what's going on. Um, but where do we find the, the disciples today? We find them cowering, locked in a room, right? They know that he's back, but they're hiding. They're hiding from the authorities. They're scared. They're afraid of what's outside. Um, we'll, we'll set aside the fact that we're all inside right now, um, but there is some interesting, you know, parallels going on. But they are, they're hiding from what's outside. They're hiding from what they don't know. They're hiding from the authorities who they are afraid are going to come after them. They know that Jesus is back, but this is how they're reacting to it. Thomas appears, I don't know, he is the one who's been designated to, to go out for groceries and toilet paper and stuff. Or I, I don't know what's going on with Thomas, but, but he's not there when Jesus shows up. And so there's this moment where Jesus appears to the disciples and he breathes the Holy Spirit on them. And some of you probably know that in, uh, in Koine Greek, in the, in the ancient Greek, um, the word for spirit, the word for breath, and the word for wind are all the same. Uh, typically, the word that's most commonly used for that. And, and so he breathes the Spirit on them. He has entrusted them with the power of the Holy Spirit. He has um, challenged them to be disciples, to go out, to do the work that they were doing together. He's told them it's going to be okay. You know, he has given them all of this authority. And how do they respond to it? They stay there. Nothing's changed. Jesus has shown up. He has literally said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. He's challenged them to continue to do this mission work. And they just sit there. And when you stop and think about it that way, it actually makes a lot of sense why Thomas responds the way he does. Because when Thomas comes back, they tell him this news, but nothing's changed. There's no reason for Thomas to walk into that room, look on these people's faces, see their lack of a response, and think that there's anything that he should believe in. Because the people who have seen it firsthand aren't giving him any reason to have faith. You follow me right now? I think you do. I got at least two nods. This is kind of fun. So time passes. And where do we find the disciples again a week later? They're still sitting in the room. So it isn't just that Thomas came back. It's still a week later. They're still sitting in the room. Jesus comes back. And now I should back up for a moment. What does Thomas say will make him believe? It isn't just seeing Jesus. He specifically points out the wounds. And this is one of the things I really want to bring up today, is that Thomas, for all of his faults, for all of all of our, we all have faults, but Thomas gets something there. Thomas recognizes that the resurrected Christ is still going to bear the wounds of the cross. It isn't going to be, I think sometimes... I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel like we have this kind of tendency to think of the resurrected Christ as like this almost nimbus of light, of perfection, of glory, and, and, and all of this great stuff, which is wonderful. But we forget that the scars of the cross are still there. They weren't just wiped clean. It wasn't like this, you know, reboot, this, this total reset where everything is now um, 
Everything that happened before is gone. The marks of the cross are still there, and Thomas gets that. Thomas recognizes that if this is truly going to be a Christ, if this is truly going to be a Christ worth following, then the resurrection had to have mattered. The crucifixion had to have mattered. And for it to have mattered, it has to still be there. The marks of it have to still be there. And so that's what he points out that he needs to see. If he's going to see anything, is it just Jesus walking through the door and saying, yo, I'm back. He needs to see that the experience of the crucifixion has had it has had an impact, has meant something. And what he sees in the faces of the other disciples is the opposite. They haven't responded. They haven't acted as though it means anything. So Jesus comes back and he says to him, hey, look, here are the wounds. Look, touch, etc." We don't know if Thomas does. Maybe he does. There's no reason to think he does because we, don't, we aren't told that in John. The way it reads in John, it looks like Jesus comes back, does this, and Thomas goes, oh, my Lord and my God, which, hey, side note, no one else says that. Thomas makes this declaration of faith there, my Lord and my God. He recognizes the promise that we have seen in the resurrected Christ means something powerful, and he's all in. He is all in from that moment, which actually is very reflective of what we have seen in Thomas earlier in John. There's the story, for example, of the death of Lazarus. And when, uh, when, when Lazarus dies and is... Uh, and and Jesus says to the disciples that we're going to go to him. Thomas is the one who immediately says, yes, let's go too and die with our friend. Um, you know, Thomas is a little impetuous, actually. Um, he's an interesting guy. Uh, um, so Jesus shows up, and Thomas immediately has that reaction. My Lord, my God, he understands that something, something has changed forever. Now, don't get me wrong. Then Jesus says, you know, hey, that's great that you believe me now, but blessed are those who believe without seeing. He's talking to us in that part. Like that's, that's why that is there. That is, that is there for those who will come later. That is there for those who will not have this kind of firsthand experience, who have to rely on others. But by extension, just as Thomas needed and could have relied on the actions of the other disciples. So those around us today who would not consider themselves to be people of, of the Christian faith, they have no reason to believe if we don't act in ways that reflect that what we claim matters. If, if we behave in ways that don't reflect the promise of the cross, there is no reason for someone else to care. Because if those of us who are going to claim this faith are going to claim that it means anything, that it has any relevance, that it has changed anything, then they will see it in how we behave. There's that great old hymn, they will know we are Christians by our love. They should. Too often they don't. Too often it's basically the opposite of that. But the promise that we see in this gospel reading today is this promise that not only does the resurrection matter, but for it to have power in the lives of people, if you'll pardon me for putting this way, outside the family, is going to be if we make the deliberate effort to lead lives that exemplify why it matters, why it has changed things, how we are different because of it. Going into the prison yesterday for the first time in two months, 
I cannot overstate to you how powerful that felt. To be entrusted with an opportunity to minister to these guys, to walk around in this place that is so often a place of fear and containment and spend time with these guys worshiping together in faith and recognizing how their faith was carrying them through this experience. My hope, my prayer for you in wherever you find yourself today is that the promise of the resurrected Christ changes things for you, that it helps you to find comfort in this time of social distancing and staying safe and staying home and all of that, but that it also empowers you once this is over to continue to live a life that exemplifies to others what the cross means, that there is a new life, a new hope, a new possibility, and that some of those other signs and stories that are not written down in John may be lived out in the way that you live today. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks on this day for the promise of the resurrection, for the opportunity for new life and new direction and new hope. We ask you to bless the men of Living Stones, the people of Bethany Lutheran, to be with all of those who on this day find themselves seeking new ways to be faithful to you in uncertain and new times. We pray this trusting in you and in your holy name. Amen.